Music Life Radio. God, music is huge. It means inspiration. It means movement, thought, feeling. Music brings back memories of my life. Music's life-defining moments for me. Music is a huge part of every day of my life and will always will be. Stories at the intersection of music and life. So in our first episode, we follow the tale of three college friends entering into their senior year at the Coast Guard Academy, where they decide to start a rock band without any musical training at all. But their hard work and diligence proves that sometimes rock star dreams can come true. Sort of. Here's a story we like to call No Talent Required. summer before my senior year in college, in 1990, I got together with a good friend of mine, Dan Johnson, and we decided we were going to start a rock band when we returned in the fall. Now, we didn't just go to a regular college, we went to a military academy, it was a lesser known one, Coast Guard Academy, it was in New London, Connecticut, basically the equivalent of West Point or Annapolis, just a lot smaller, it was about 1,200 people total at the entire school. My graduating class was about 160. Students at the school were called cadets. Uh, We went to class, just like our regular counterparts. But we also had to undergo military training, and we had to do all sorts of crazy duties. And this was to basically prepare us for life as an officer in the Coast Guard once we graduated. Stress would run pretty high at times, and there were people that had to leave because of the stress that was at this institution. I remember actually running in into a room where there was a guy with a, a bayonet on a training rifle with a psychotic look in his eyes like he was going to hurt somebody, mainly himself, and wasn't really sure what was going to go go on. And I immediately you know, contacted the authorities, and they got him help. I grew up in Seattle, and I would always go back during my breaks from the academy, and I would listen to the music that was going on in Seattle at the time. I mean, this was the grunge invasion, and bands like Soundgarden, Nirvana, Tad, Mudhoney, Pearl Jam, all these uh, bands were uh, really big, and I knew I liked this. It was very dirty. It was very slow and grunge really kind of described it, I guess. I loved it. And I didn't just want to be one of these people that was a fan of the music. I I wanted to be part of this music scene. I, I talked with Dan Johnson, you know, before we went on break and he was from Lewiston, Idaho, and he had spent his youth watching a lot of hours of MTV and he had seen these rock bands on there, the hair bands, the glam bands, just the flat-out rock bands, the metal bands, and he liked drums. He would play air drums all the time. After we had got to know each other at the academy, it was pretty clear that we both had a very strong interest in music and we wanted to do something. I don't know how it came up, but one of us proposed, you know, when we get back... To school our senior year, let's form a band and let's try to do some music. 
while I was on summer break, I had purchased a black PV Patriot bass guitar and a small PV amplifier from a local music store in my hometown of Kent, Washington. I remember that I had practiced my brains out to these instructional books that I had bought at the time. I think they were Mel Bay's Electric Bass, like volumes one and two. When I grew bored of playing to the bass lesson books, I would just do these freeform experimental jam sessions. I'm sure my parents were quite horrified at the noise that I was able to generate from a single bass guitar and a small amplifier. When we returned that fall to the academy, we contacted our buddy Jerry Popeil, who was the key master for the rock room, the infamous rock room, which was where we were going to be able to go down and practice. Now, the rock room is a rehearsal space in Leamy Hall where we had our first show. And this place was awesome. It came fully stocked with Pearl drum sets, amplifiers, microphones, PA systems, all that stuff. So we'd be jamming in this rock room. We started writing our own original music because uh, we just did not know how to play anything. I think at some point I was able to get in touch with uh, like a guitar magazine and I figured out how to read Guitar Tab, which was a lot easier than reading uh, sheet music. That helped. I took about a month worth of lessons at that point from a black blues guy in uh, downtown New London, and he was amazing. He taught me so much stuff. That really, really helped a lot. The core focus was on Brian, myself, and uh, Dan Johnson. After some contemplation, we decided that we would go with name Illegal Action. The name Illegal Action comes from a story centered around the three core members, myself, Brian, and Dan. We were looking to get into downtown New London for a birthday party from one of our cadet friends. We had been drinking. I think we even had a case of beer with us and cans. And the academy is right next to the railroad tracks. We went down to the railroad tracks and a train was passing by. After some quick discussions, we decided we would jump on the back of the moving train. See if it would take us to downtown New London because we knew the railroad tracks went through that part of town. It seemed like a good idea at the time, and so that's what we did. We jumped on the back of the moving train, and it started to slow down immediately when we jumped on the back of it. It wasn't really going that fast to begin with, but it started to really slow down, and we were confused, and eventually it slowed down and it stopped, and really was maybe about 200 yards from where we jumped on the back of it. Turns out that was the service yard for the for the trains. And crew and other service personnel were coming out uh, to service a train at the time. We were on the back of this train with a case of beer <laughs> trying to get to downtown New London. Well, these guys, it didn't take them very long. They spotted us right away, and they told us to stop. Stop where you're at. Of course, our immediate reaction was to just freeze. We were like, uh-oh, what do we do? <laughs> we're, we're caught. The foreman came over to us and said, you know what you're doing is an illegal action. It's a felony, and you will go to jail. You need to stop and stay right here. We're going to go call the cops. 
Well, it didn't really take a whole lot of thinking on our parts. Uh, I guess it was the fight-or-flight survival mode kicked in, and we ran back to the academy as fast as we could. Nobody was after us or anything. I don't know if it was a scare tactic or whatever, but anyway, we, we uh, shagged ass out of there and got back to the academy. But after we reflected on it, we were like, yeah, that was kind of a significant moment uh, in our lives, and illegal action seems kind of cool. Seems kind of contrary to the whole academy. That seems very rock and roll. Let's go with that. Illegal action. That's awesome. So that's what we went with. That was our name. And uh, we enjoyed it. This clip that I'm going to play next is from the very first live performance of Illegal Action with Brian Corrigan on vocals. After it gets done, Brian's going to go right into describing how that very first show felt. First memory of the first show, and this is the first thing that popped into my head, the uh, sound check we did. And I think one of the only people, if not the only person in the room besides the band was Al Hennings. And he came up to me and said, it's not very good. (laughs) I said, it's going to get better. Because I think it was a show, but it probably was within the top 10 times that we'd ever done any of these songs. So it was also an audition. It was a show. It was a practice. It was just doing what we do, doing what we did. We thought it sounded good, and we were proud of it. Not exactly sure of how we got authorized to sing at the dance. The best memory I have is, think it's on video, so it's engraved into my brain, watching it so many times, four or five guys with their arms around each other. I'm pretty sure that was one of the things that resulted in somebody going to the hospital somebody rolled an ankle or broke an ankle or something and just dancing across the floor four or five guys and somebody yells out blood as his ankle broke <laughs> it was pretty cool we were gonna sing uh stumbling man and we couldn't figure out how it started <laughs> So I'm going, and Dan's starting to play, and then I grabbed the lyric sheet because I couldn't remember how the lyrics went. And we it all came together, though, and I think it came across great. One other thing, though, didn't we run down to, gosh, what was it called? Campus Pizza. Got a pitcher of beer, and I think we downed it in minutes before we came up just to prime the pumps. So I, my memory, Brian's memory of illegal action, Dan Sauter and Dan Johnson went down to the rock room 
Dan Johnson played the drums, Sauter played the bass, and they had Dan Johnson's Magnavox tape recorder down there. They laid down probably the crudest bass with the drum. I mean, who knows? I, I thought it was Mozart. I thought it was the coolest thing because it actually was notes that sort of made sense and sort of had a beat, and I thought it was so awesome. And then I was so self-conscious that they wanted me to come down and contribute to it in some way which I knew nothing other than to speak and speaking could lead to singing or yelling or whatever you want to call it I thought I was inspired by the fact that they were making some kind of sounds that sounded like music to me which who knows if I wished God we could hear what that first tape sounded like today just hear how how it was sound the first thing that popped in my head was a train wreck <laughs> that doesn't sound too well i thought at the time because it was i don't know right in the early 90s thought we sounded like nirvana <laughs> i mean that's who i think that type of music was what inspired us or at least kind of was in my head most of the time but then looking back and listening back we sounded nothing like them <laughs> or pearl jam or those types of bands that were coming out at the time what we sounded like was fun. That's what I think we sounded like, fun. Dan Johnson, my good buddy and drummer of Illegal Action. It sounded like people who had all the ambition and care about music in the world, but no training out there. You couldn't get a higher energy level. It wasn't refined, so it was, it was very different than things that I had heard before. We definitely had the, uh, the early 90s, the grunge uh, influence. That was our biggest influence, but I think we just, our sound was original just because of the disparity between the music appreciation and music know-how. <laughs> my dad got transferred to Lewiston, Idaho my senior year in high school and was gracious enough to leave me in Seattle with my mom to graduate from high school. My dad moved to Lewiston. I don't know all the details, but he knew somebody who knew a kid named Dan Johnson that was going to the Coast Guard Academy. And my dad, being a proud dad, said, my son's going to the Coast Guard Academy. We need to get these kids together. And we met, one of my earliest memories, driving around in Lewiston with some of Dan's buddies from high school, driving around with a remote from a garage door opener, trying to open other people's garage doors. <laughs> and apparently this is what you did in Lewiston, Idaho, for fun. And it was kind of fun. Then another time we all got really drunk. I think this was later actually, but it was an early memory with Dan. We got really drunk and 
unlucky bear in cowboy boots and had a race around the track at Lewiston High School, reliving the glory days of high school track. And so that's how Dan Johnson and I met. The Dan Sodder, Dan Johnson and I were already at the Coast Guard Academy. We traveled back together. We were there. Found out we were in the same company together the first summer, so that was comforting to know that we actually knew somebody and then we're sitting in a some kind of big assembly early on in the whole process and I see this guy with this big old thick neck kind of a strut kind of a badass looking kid I thought I'd recognize that guy and so I walked over I can't remember if he walked up to me or walked up to him and we started talking and he ended up it turned out that we recognized each other from high school wrestling he wrestled in Kent I wrestled at Kennedy High School in Berrien and we didn't wrestle each other, but I remembered he beat our guy, and I beat their guy. Don't know exactly how the three of us eventually came together. I guess I, apparently, since I knew Dan Johnson first, and then had a connection with Dan Sauter, I must be the glue that brought them together. I think that's pretty much how it goes. <laughs> I remember sitting in class. We're at probably, I guess, what was considered one of the most difficult colleges in the country academically. And all I cared about during that two or three month period was thinking of lyrics during <laughs> every class. I'd sit there and write down lyrics or think of lyrics. If I had been sitting there thinking about what was going on in class, I probably would have lost interest. So it probably helped me keep my interest in what was going on and keep me motivated. It's definitely an outlet emotionally too. We alluded to it earlier. There was a girl that I had broken up with and a lot of the lyrics that came out of me were <laughs> based on experiences from being basically pissed off but that's about where stuff comes from you know i was pissed off so i'd say the two that was a big influence being pissed and just having fun was another influence because a lot of the songs were about drinking and having fun and that's where the stuff comes from i guess because lyrics don't just pop in your head for no reason they, they're based on experiences you're having remember the inspiration for liar and bitch was there at the show and i don't think she'd ever heard i don't know if she even knew that we had a band <laughs> i don't think she expected that the only person she knew in connecticut was going to leave her standing out there while he went up on stage and sang songs that she didn't know were about her but that became very clear to her that they were about her <laughs> and bitch and liar yeah she i think i pretty sure i looked into her eyes and saw the horror when she realized this sounds familiar mm -hmm. 
My parents had a house with Jeff Gagne's parents, and my dad went downstairs, I think, to go to the bathroom or something, and found Waldo naked on the couch with a girl he was dating at the time. I can't remember her name, but gosh, I remember her boobs. They were huge. And I'm sure my dad was, he told me about it several times. He never came right out and said it was pretty awesome or anything like that. But I think the fact that he kept talking about it, he thought it was pretty cool. I think the biggest shows were when people would just walk in down in the rock room and just in awe a lot of times. Sometimes, you know, the best thing was people would walk in. I remember Waldo walking in during the taping of a Beer Belly Boy and just screaming out in the middle of the song. Or maybe it was Blood Loogie, actually, I think. He screamed out in the middle of the song and made the tape. And Shannon Crothers coming in and making some noises in the background. And I think those were the best shows for me were just the three of us down there or sometimes four or five of us whoever would show up two things i remember are one dan Sauter and i going out and shopping for a drum pedal for dan johnson for his birthday that was cool i think that was our first possession like an actual band possession that we didn't borrow or use or steal and then i remember standing down there singing or whatever you call it because my wife has made me think that i can't call it singing anymore <laughs> Standing with my back to a pole because I was self-conscious about anybody seeing me sing. After watching the Doors movie, I remember Jim Morrison would stand with his back to the audience, so I would stand with my back because I felt like it was a little more comfortable doing it that way. But then I realized it was a lot more fun with people looking at you after a while after that. I remember feeling more comfortable also having a what, what the heck was it? A Jim Beam Hank Williams Jr. hat with a rattlesnake head with two teeth, one slightly broken sticking out I'm sure it was broken in some kind of headbutting contest I met Brian at my mom's surprise 50th birthday party with a stripper Brian was not the stripper Michael was the stripper but Brian was at the party Heidi Corgan and Sue Johnson on illegal action Brian was coming back from Japan off of his Navy ship. <laughs> because illegal action's big in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. He was on tour in Yakuska. Brian's parents and my parents were good friends, and Brian was flying into town, and we were having a surprise birthday party for my mom, and his parents said, come to the party. There'll be other young people there. And Brian just couldn't keep his hands off me. So it was essentially an arranged marriage. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. And then we went out that night, and he told me about Blood Loogie. 
and the rest is history. It was a it was another song, so this has to do with music about kissing at the red light. So we're at a red light, totally cheesy line. I'm in the passenger seat, and he says something about, "Have you ever heard that song, kissing at a red light?" And he leans over, <laughs> gives me a kiss. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Yeah. So. And then at our wedding party. Brian sang Blood Loogie in the Which midst. Which is what attracted me to him <laughs> to begin with. Brian's Blood Loogie? Hearing that he wrote a song called Blood Loogie. I mean, <laughs> what more could you look for in a man? And I bet you know the, those lyrics too. Blood Loogie, I think you just yell it over and over again. Blood Loogie. The key being yell, not sing. Well, no, singing, I meant. Singing. <laughs> I'm thinking that at some point in college, uh, Brian must have hacked up a blood loogie. And stood on the rooftop of a restroom. (laughs) At the rooftop of a restroom at the Coast Guard Academy at a party and screamed the blood loogie song. I remember speaking of that song. During that song, the security was back in the background behind everybody. There were probably... Not a handful of people down there, and people filtered through. So there were over the course of time, there was probably twenty, thirty people. But at this one time, you look back, and there was a little road that went back on the other side of the field along the river, and the security truck was stopped there with its blue lights flashing, and like one of the guys had his arm out, raised in the air, pumping his fist in the air. <laughs> one of the security guys. That's just ingrained in my brain. I thought it was pretty funny. I've almost forgotten. That's the story of illegal action brought to you by the members of the band themselves. I hope you enjoyed it. We had a good time making it. Please send any feedback that you may have to our website at www.musicliferadio.com. For more information about Dan and Dan, whose current musical project, Visitor 42, is alive and well, please check out their website, www.visitor42.com. We promise that we have a little bit more talent than we did when we started in Illegal Action. Thank you. See you next time. We don't even care. We don't need the talent. We ain't no man. Spotting drugs like no one's. That's all we understand. Make mistakes, make a man. Listen if you dare. If I'm not at no job, we know what. We don't care.